Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light the fundamental issues surrounding health and wellness in the food and beverage industry. This week, my guests are Moni Bunny, Christina Magro, and Laura Kelton of Support Staff. Their Chicago-based nonprofit is committed to providing access to mental health professionals for the food and beverage industry, while also helping to drive sustainable changes in the way that our industry operates from the ground up. To learn more about what they do, please head to pleasehustleresponsibly.org. Hi, everyone. This is Focus on Health. I'm Alex Jump, and today I have with me three incredible women all um, from the Chicago area who have started a wonderful initiative called Support Staff. I've got Laura Kelton, Christina Magro, and Moni Bunny with me. Hi, y'all. Hello. Um, this is, it's been like a week of, um, a week of firsts for recording with me. I had my first other Alex on the podcast. I had my first Canadian on the podcast, and now I've got my first podcast with a handful of people on it. And I'm not going to lie, a little nervous, um, that there will be weird glitches, even though we've already had a ton. I feel like we've already gotten them out of the way pre-recording. Um, (laughs) but I'm so happy to have y'all here. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having us. Um, I well, guess we should dive right in because um, 30 minutes goes fast when there's just two of us talking. And today there are four of us. So where should we even start? I guess we should start with um, giving everyone listening a little bit of a rundown on what support staff is, who y'all are, um, and how you kind of came together to put this project in play whoever wants to take that. Um, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, Laura here. Um, so my name is Laura Kelton. Um, I've most recently been living in Chicago, Illinois, and recently um, transitioned and I'm living in Los Angeles. Um, but Support Staff is a Chicago-based organization and is a community of hospitality professionals. Um, And we are working with mental health professionals uh, and community organizers to change the structure of the hospitality industry. So for us, there is a major focus on mental health. um, And a lot of that is, you know, kind of stems from mental health within the workplace. So for us, structurally changing these organizations really looks like changing workplace culture um, and kind of what kind of shifting the perspective on what's the most important within the workplace. So taking care of your employees first, and then everything else will kind of fall into place. That's a lot of, you know, what we're working on. So we're doing that through education, where we've partnered with Laura Green from Healthy Poor and um, DJ Watson, our director of education. Um, speak a little bit more to the Police Hustle Response podcast that we launched at the end of last year, um, which has been really awesome great persons in the industry um, about ethical and responsible leadership, but there are some topics that we're going to cover there. Um, we've got our weird time um, grocery program and then the comp tab relief fund. That's incredible. It's so much that y'all have accomplished already in such a little time and um, really important topics in our industry, which I'm sure we all know, Uh, need to be talked about more and need to be brought to the forefront of uh, conversation so that, you know, leaders in our industry are thinking about these things when they're opening bars and restaurants or 
whether they still already have bars and restaurants open and need to take a deep look into how they operate their businesses and um, everything in between. Um, Moni and Magro, do y'all want to maybe touch a little bit on on who y'all are and and how you all got involved together in this? Sure. Um, I'm Christina Magro, and I think for me, support staff was really important because it came from a place of loss. I lost somebody um, extremely close to me, and I kind of looked around at all of my friends and we didn't really have the resources that we needed to properly cope with the loss that we had at hand. Um, so seeing that kind of void in, in, in bridging the gap between mental health professionals and hospitality folks is how I got into it um, with Laura and Moni Bunny. And then we actually kind of kickstarted our idea for support staff by entering the Tahona Society competition a couple years ago. And the focus of that competition is sustainability. So we brought up the question of how do we even talk about sustainability within this industry before we talk about how we sustain ourselves within this industry. Um, so it's been quite the journey up until this point, but um, I'm really proud of what we've accomplished so far and I'm very excited to see what we all can accomplish in the future. Awesome. Yeah and um, hi everyone Moni Bunny here. Um, so yeah we got started from a place of a lot of loss and um, you know personally we've all dealt with our various mental health challenges. All three of us have been in hospitality for a really long time. I know, I mean, I started when I was 16. So as far as like my work experience goes, for the most part, it really is only hospitality. Um, and so when you grow up in in that culture, you know, you grow up in, in the kind of like, you know, we chef, a little bit harmful mentality and it kind of makes you realize, you know, once you take a step back, you realize how harmful it's been to you, but then also like how much harm you could have caused someone else by continuing to perpetuate that very like abusive restaurant culture of this is just the way it is. We're going to work ourselves to death. We're over glorifying, you know, the clopins and having, and you know, people saying that I've worked 30 days straight without a day off as like a badge of honor. And it's like, that's not healthy for anyone. That's definitely not healthy for you. And I'm sure it's not great for the people around you either because you haven't taken care of yourself. Um, and so with a culmination of just a summer of a lot of loss and then the Tahona Society competition and us just really like decide, like, you know, for a while drinking our feelings there and realizing like this is not healthy and we are going to run ourselves ragged. Yeah, absolutely. And all three of y'all touched on a topic that I'd, I'd love to hear more on, which was this idea of like responsible and ethical leadership. And like Laura, you mentioned, you mentioned that specifically and Moni, you brought up something that um, I think about often and how I manage people and how I react to situations, which is that like how we may be perpetuating negative workplace 
culture by without maybe without even realizing it or something that's been like ingrained from us from how we were trained, even if it's something that's deeply not connected to what we believe in or what kind of leader we want to be. Um, I just I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, especially after, of through this year of like constant changes and like really trying times when it comes to like being the leader and you know, trying to be positive for your team or like setting new systems in place. Like how do y'all, how do y'all think the, that we start making changes with this? Like how do we disconnect ourselves from those like learned traits that have been ingrained in us? Like you said, we've been working in this industry for, you know, most of us have been in this industry for at least a decade. Like how do we, how do we remove ourselves from those things that we were taught and like, change the way that we lead I think it all starts with communication and transparency and I think everything else kind of um, falls in line after that because especially now more so than ever like being 100% transparent with your staff and also communicating with them on a daily basis and and checking in and seeing how people are doing and how they're feeling. Um, I think it's been really enlightening talking to um, other people and other managers within this time because it's really um, interesting to see not only like everyone's constantly pivoting, but like how are you pivoting when it comes to managing your staff as well. And and I think um, the intimidation level of like being a manager and being kind of like unaccessible needs to die and we all as like leaders need to take take it uh very Mm. our positions very seriously and um and be open Mm. and available for the people that we're leading and make sure that um you, that people feel like not only that they're walking into a safe space every day at work, but they're walking into, um, uh, they can walk into a conversation with you at any point in time if they do feel uncomfortable. What do you think, Moni? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that transparency with with your teams 100%. And also some things that I feel like, um, you know, within the this these conversations happening more and more and people becoming more and more aware of just kind of like the dehumanizing nature of this business, um, I feel like a lot of emphasis gets put on um, management, which management absolutely has a huge responsibility. But I also think that we need to talk a lot about ownership as well, because, um, you know, it it is unfortunate, but I've, I've been in the situation, I know I'm sure the rest of us have, where we've been in management and we've been you know, leaders of a team, and we've tried to implement systems of care and trying to, um, you know, develop that with our our teams, but it's really difficult to get a lot of things done if your owners don't have your back. So I think it really Mm -hmm. starts with, you know, the owners kind of buying into this mindset of, you know, if you you set your space and your intention for your space and and your your team and almost like your mission statement where you know you you set the tone that 
this is a place where your team can come in and be vulnerable and be themselves and not have to worry about one mistake getting them fired or not having to worry about, you know, just transforming into a different person while you're at your job. Um, that'll also help a lot. And then you're, you have your managers who will be able to implement those systems because they know that they have the support of their owners. And then it'll go to employees who will be able to be themselves and be vulnerable because they have the support of their managers and their um, employers. You bring up such an incredible point, which like I've never, I don't know if I've ever even thought about it this way, but like, Never in my life before the job I have now had I worked at a restaurant where there was like a mission statement or core values or like the business had something that it stood for. It's like every restaurant I've ever worked at was just like, we're just going to cook really good food. (laughs) Like we cook food and we serve people and there's never, I've just never worked for anybody before Duff and Co where it wasn't just like, we're like, obviously we make good food and drinks but like also our mission is x y and z and like we stand for this and like these are our core values and this is how the company like pledges to take care of its employees you know like i feel like people get into this industry oftentimes because they're like oh i'm i really like cooking food or i really like making drinks or i really like taking care of people but that part about taking care of people like more often than not is about the guest and not and nobody thinks about like oh, that also should mean I should take care of my employees. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm back. <laughs> um, Welcome back. <laughs> it's really hard to prioritize um, a psychologically safe workplace if it's not a priority. And I think that, like you're saying, like unless that is included in someone's mission statement, it's really difficult to adhere to those practices because that's what you've clearly not put... Um, not put as a priority in the first place. Um, And I'll say, you know, a lot of this, if there's anybody listening um, who needs to try to convince, you know, the ownership of their bar restaurant or business in the hospitality world, um, that mental health in the workplace is an incredibly important business decision is kind of, you know, hearkening back to the Healthy Poor Symposium and the the seminar about um, the business of mental health. And there was a a lengthy discussion about psychological safety within the workplace. Like Moni was saying, like, you know, being afraid of coming to work and getting berated for, you know, I've seen people that I've, I've seen chefs that I love and admire come and sit across from me at the bar and throw a temper tantrum that someone did not, you know, mince garlic correctly or did not cut, you know, garnish for a food correctly. And watching people explode in that moment over something so simple. And you're like, okay, well, if, that's what is actually the biggest priority. Um, that's not a place that I want to spend my time if I'm going to get, you know, yelled at at work for not chopping the chives per- perfectly every single time. <laughs> when, yeah, and also like the whole thought of like thinking, you know, properly planning for how to take care of your employees before you even open a, a business, right? Like, mm-hmm. Like I was when Ariel Copeland and I were chatting last week, it was like, why aren't more people like writing into their business plan, like how to afford to take care of their employees, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not trying to completely simplify something that is very complicated. Like, I understand that if you own a really small business, like it may not 
be very easy financially for you to, for instance, provide health insurance for your employees. But like, what else can you do? Or like, how can you get to a place where you can afford to do that? Or like, how can you, you know, like, how else can you help them, I guess, is my question. And like, why aren't more people thinking about those things when they're writing their business plan? Like, that should be a part of how you're planning to open a business. And when you're including those things in your business plan with your mission statement and your core values, that gives your employees and the people who work for you an opportunity to be able to hold you accountable for those things as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's really scary for a lot of people to, if you say, if you say you're going to do something and then people can hold you accountable for it, then you have and to you do actually it. have to do it. <laughs> I don't think that in people's planning of an actual business plan, when they're looking at, you know, a PL report and where they're going to gain revenue, no one actually goes through to dissect and realize like how much turnover costs a restaurant. And not that that should be the reason that people want to do stuff like this, but there is a huge employee retention factor in this. If you're talking about it from like an actual business standpoint where it's like, no, genuinely worrying about people like you claim to do will make you more money in the long run if you genuinely care right Mm -hmm. yeah exactly like the the yeah the benefit of taking care of your employees and having like long-term employees and less turnover is so substantial like and that can translate to everything right it doesn't have to be just like oh i pay for people's health insurance like do one, you know, pinpointing one thing within the general idea of taking care of people necessarily isn't enough. It, you may not be able to afford to buy health insurance for your staff, but you may hit so many other marks as far as like being a great employer and taking care of your people where that you're accomplishing the same goal Mm -hmm. and creating safe workplaces for people. Or like maybe you can't afford to give them health insurance, but you can intentionally give them two to three days off in a row. Right. You can, you can do other things to make sure that your employees have a good work-life balance. Yeah. You, Magro, when you were, um, when you were introducing yourself at the beginning, you like brought up this whole idea of like people having to like, or thinking that they need to prove themselves by like working long stretches in a row or like, you know, I kind of, I think about it and like, you know, not taking a break and like sitting down to eat dinner. Like you got to be like the tough person who stands over the trash can and shovels Mm -hmm. in their food and runs back to the bar, you know, like the first person in the last person out. Like that's something that I really hope that we see start to disappear in our industry because like not only I think all of us know that clearly like that is not the way to create like long lasting lives in this industry. But like as a person who has like trans like moved into a leadership position within this industry, it's been like a really tough thing for me to like help my coworkers, my co-managers like understand and like, and see that, you know, you may actually not be the best leader when you're working seven days a week or 12 hours a day um, that, you know, in fact, you actually are probably a better leader if you take two days off and go to the mountains and don't have your phone on you. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think, you know, I really love the idea of leading by example. Um, And I think that so many of us have worn this, this like running ourselves down to the ground as like, 
you know, the example that we set for our, our teams, you know, and like everyone is just working themselves to death. But like, you know, as, as a leader, you know, you taking two days off, but then also extending that same courtesy to your staff because, you know, your, your time, your, your mental health is all worth the same, you know? Um, I also think that like, as an industry, we need to start giving people that we promote the tools to be leaders. Um, I see so many like chefs that are opening that own restaurants or bartenders that get promoted to beverage director and like in a leadership position only because they can cook the best food or they can make the most delicious drinks. And I mean, but they'd also have, they have no idea how to lead people and not to their fault, you know, they haven't been given those tools, but also some people are just, you know, they might not be cut out for that, for that position, you know, like, I don't necessarily think like your head bartender has to be the bartender that makes the tastiest drinks, you know, like we, the way that we, we promote, I feel like should come a little bit more from like your skills to deal with human beings along with being able to order for a bar and do inventory and all of that. But like, I think when we promote, we don't really take into account necessarily how, people work with others or lead others, you know? Not to mention, if we were to focus even more, like you're saying, on fostering these management positions and roles and people's um, qualifications and abilities to do that outside of what the task is at hand within like the bar or the restaurant, like how much better shape do you feel like our industry would be in during something like this, like this pandemic when, um, sometimes people getting another job within the bar and restaurant industry just isn't viable with places opening and closing or there just aren't jobs to be had. And it's like, if we would have invested in people's skills and like told them that they have these skills and help them to um, facilitate growth within that, like how many more opportunities would people have during something like this to find another job that, that suits their skill set, even if it is temporary? Right. Like rather than focusing on like having the best shake. I mean, that's the thing. Like I've heard so many times from extraordinarily like talented from a bartending perspective or a restaurant, you know, perspective, you know, cooking, like, sure. Like, yeah, you're incredibly talented, but then they'll sit there and say like, I don't have any other marketable skills. And it's like, that's not true, but no one's bothered to foster that, you know, with you within your workplace environment. So maybe that's not the forefront of your mind when it comes to other things. Like really at the heart of it, we all work in customer service, but if no one talks to you about what you're actually doing for a living and like helping you grow in that way, you may not realize that you have an entire other you know, set of skills that are incredibly marketable and relevant within the world today that you could go out and do something else again, even if it is just temporary while you know, while the world kind of figures out how we're going to operate, you know, moving forward in our industry. Yeah, right. This is a topic that has come up like a couple of times now. Um, You know, Alex and I just talked about it on the episode that just came out. And, um, and I I think I feel like Ariel and I talked about this too, but like, how do we create better systems for like teaching people how to move up into a management position in this industry? You know, like how can we put systems in place that better prepare people for like the really difficult task of managing people? That's a really hard question to answer. It's okay if you don't have an answer. I I don't know if I have one. I think you need to give people time. 
Like, I think the transition into management is always tough. But speaking from my personal experience, like I was kind of thrown thrown to the wolves to just like figure it out. Um, and it would be nice if we could get back to more mentorship. But with mentorship comes time and dedication to making sure and fostering that relationship and making sure that this person is ready. Like I've had a lot of mentors, quote unquote, but I don't think anyone's had the like time and ability to actually like sit down and give me information that I was seeking. It was just like, Hey, here's this book or here's this, that. And I think you can be a self-starter to an extent, but I think like in order to be a better mentor and give people the tools to succeed, like you need to, you need to dedicate time and you also need to um, also teach these people like what not Mm -hmm. to do, like what you've learned Mm -hmm. good and bad things. Um, Because, you know, I've learned a lot from, people of what not to do and that's not a bad thing um it's just perspective yeah and like kind of circling back to you know what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode where it's like we should be working in places where we're not afraid to make mistakes right we're like not afraid that we're gonna get fired just because we did something wrong um and I think that that has a big part to do in it too right like knowing that you work for people that um will help you take mistakes and let them become like learning opportunities. Yeah. I mean, that's the best part about failure. That's the thing is like, you know, we live in this society where all of us are so afraid to fail and I'm included in this. Um, you know, like we have this like crippling feel of fear of failure, but failure is where you get your best lessons. You know, how are you going to figure out what not to do unless you've tried something and it has totally not worked out and you're like, Oh great. I won't do that for next time. Learned. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And like to be able to have like open conversation, like you were saying, Christina, about like having open conversations with your mentors about like, okay, I did this, like I failed. Um, and like, this is what I learned from it. Um, I, I reference this all the time, but like, w- like how I had a conversation with Alex day where I was like, I just feel like I'm failing. And he was like, well, like we're always failing forward. And that's the most important part. And like, uh, like I might, I might as well get that tattoo on my fucking forehead because I'm <laughs> failing forward. Like, you know, like it's okay to fail as long as you're like learning from it and growing from it and, you know, and improving on top of that, like speaking of speaking of like learning from it and growing from it, like how many of y'all have worked in places where you get like yearly or quarterly reviews? <laughs> <sighs> I've requested one. Yeah. Always. This is, this is my first job where I've ever gotten reviews and maybe I got reviews at other jobs, but I can tell you what I was like anxious out of my fucking mind Mm -hmm. before I ever got reviews before now, you know, like, because nobody is trained how to do them. Right. Like (laughs) most of probably any review we've ever gotten in our career is just like a whole lot of negative, like, (laughs) with no constructive feedback on how to like improve. It's interesting Um, that you say that because that's something that I think Magro has touched on um, several times recently in different conversations that we've had that especially um, the further you continue to grow in your career and the further up in the management tier that you get, the less feedback you get, especially positive feedback from anyone. 
and it makes kind of figuring out how to navigate anything in the realm of upper management. It's how people kind of make it unattainable for you because they're not giving you the feedback that you need in order for you to succeed and to thrive. Yeah, totally. Actually, this is, I just got, I just had my, that's why I thought about it. I just had my yearly review. And, you know, one thing that, you know, they said to me was like, you're getting so much better at the way you give feedback, but we'd like to see you give more positive feedback, you know? And it's like, that is something that I've maybe never been taught even, you know, like how to actively give like positive feedback. We're always so like dialed in on like, well, how things have to be perfect. And we're like nitpicking all of the things that makes our, you know, that that drink not perfect or whatever that clothes wasn't perfect, whatever it is. Um, so like, you know, actively learning in management, how to give like positive feedback to our staff too. And like creating such a nurturing environment. Positive, positive feedback and positive reinforcement goes a really long way and it's free. Right. (laughs) So it's like at the very least, like one of somebody told me that when I first started managing, and he said, at the very least, what you can do is positive feedback is, is free and it create it unintentionally like creates just happiness. Like, and you can always do the, you know, compliment sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it's really important, like as managers, because we do get caught up in all, all of the kind of um minutia of day to day that like it, it's it's just really easy and something uh that goes a really long yeah, way i've i've also found it really helpful to not just you know when you're giving feedback to people say someone makes a drink incorrectly instead of just saying like that's wrong or that's not how we do things like tell them why, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think enough people explain the why behind a lot of decisions. And I feel like, like with like, you know, every, every bar, for example, like, you know, you can definitely have your house style and you want every single bartender to bartend this specific way and do things. this, And that's totally fine. But I feel like when you tell people like, this is what we do, but also explaining to them why that's what we do or why this is acceptable or why things were incorrect or whatever, that's going to go so much further in, in creating that understanding between all of the people in the space. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what you're saying also in a way like translates really well to like, if any bar or restaurant owners are out there listening, like if you are, putting policies in place to like protect your staff or to like take better care of your staff, like tell Mm -hmm. them why, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're only going to work five day work weeks. Like everybody gets two days off and this is why, like, or, you know, we're going to start giving everybody a wellness credit because it will help you be a happier person or a healthier person or like, you know, like, like give your staff the why, um, it will build like so much trust in you. Like they'll have so much more trust in you as an employer. Like if you tell yourself why you do things, yeah. I want owners to be. I more think that's a huge piece of, you know, the ethical and responsible leadership is um, appropriate transparency. 
um, because I think it also allows your staff to be a lot more transparent with you, which helps you run a business. Um, it helps you know, you know, who's having a good day, who's having an off day and making sure that people feel safe enough to come to you and say that. And sometimes that takes um, some vulnerability on part of the, you know, the manager or the owner, whoever it is kind of saying like, hey, I'm having an off day. And that's right. And right. None of that, I think, um, as a leader, you know, Alex, we've talked about this before, but it just goes such a long way. People are like, oh, you're not, oh, you are a human being. And you're like, yes, yes, I am. I might have a different job yes. title than you. Right. I might be in charge of making the schedule and might be in charge of, you know, a 30 person front of house team. But like, that doesn't make me any different than you. I'm still a human with a life and things happen outside of these walls. You know, the whole concept of leave your personal stuff at the door is something that I'm really happy to, to see that people seem to be kind of kicking to the curb. Um, because I think it's incredibly important, mm -hmm. like, especially in the context of our jobs and the fact that we are in the service industry and are constantly taking care of people. And it's already kind of overwhelming that when you walk in the door, you're like, okay, my entire job is to make sure that the people that are entering this space for the rest of the day are taken care of. So I think a huge piece of being successful right. in that is not only taking care of yourself, but just acknowledging either when you're not or that you have not been able to fulfill that necessity in your life. Um, because I think that piece of being a responsible leader is just not trying to fake it till you make it. It's like allowing people into that more vulnerable side of your life. That's like, Hey, no, I'm a real person too. And I've got real struggles and I want you to feel comfortable coming to me when you're having them too, because then we can make this a much better working relationship for everyone. Totally. Um, well, we're like getting to the end of our podcast. I told you all it goes so fast. Um, I feel like there's so much we could talk about, but I wanted to wrap up today and give y'all the opportunity. Just like, I guess, touch on, you know, any advice that you might have for people who are, you know, looking to start hustling responsibly or, you know, you know, some, maybe something that you've experienced that you want to share. I don't, I really, it's like in yoga when they do like open flow, uh, you know, open <laughs> flow can, whatever y'all want to share. <laughs> Um, I think for anyone who's trying to hustle responsibly um, and they're really taking this time to reevaluate the things that mean the most to them, um, I think it. we as an industry are pretty all or nothing and we're very competitive and we go all in, but this isn't something that you have to go all in for. You can set really small obtainable goals and work your way up um, to where you want to be and don't get discouraged. But I really hope that for everyone listening, um, they don't choose to go back to the way that things were before, because we obviously have seen that that's not a very sustainable culture or way of life or an industry that uh, we should participate in. So I think that um, if you are trying to 
be more responsible, more ethical. Um, it starts with you yeah. and, and how you do that is your own journey, but, um, don't beat yourself up. And there's a reason why people say it's a practice because you have to keep at it every single day. Um, and to be like a good leader also means to take care of yourself mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I think Mommy. also, you know, um, setting boundaries and, and being honest with not only yourself, which is very important, but being honest with, um, you know, your leadership and the people around you as much as you can. Um, and kind of like, you know, a lot of us are going to be starting new jobs after, you know, after the pandemic is over, if that ever happens. But, um, you know, something that, that I've learned very like recently and kind of with between my, my personal romantic relationship and my job currently, and just a lot of things in life is the, the more honest you are, the earlier in the, the happier you will be, um, you know, like being a transparent about who you are, what your goals are, what you want to accomplish, um, and just kind of setting that precedent. And it's a little bit of like a take it or leave it kind of thing. And unfortunately, some employers or some people in your life won't take it. But the ones that do are right. going to be the healthiest of the relationships. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, I guess, yeah, kind of adding on to what Moni said, because um, me and Moni Magro talked about this one day in terms of people setting boundaries for themselves and kind of looking out for themselves and like, how do you draw the line between taking care of yourself and being selfish and um, affecting other people? And I think a big thing, like Moni said, is communication with others. And that is like, hey, if I can't fulfill my responsibilities for something and that's going to be harmful to someone else, just the, the general acknowledgement of that. Um, and just knowing that being productive is not a necessity every single day. And I think a lot of practicing this is very much self-forgiveness and just being gentle with yourself and kind of learning. I think a lot of us have new boundaries that we discovered um, after spending a lot of time either in isolation with ourselves or just a couple of people um, and kind of working off and on throughout all of this is, um, yeah, just being gentle with yourself and making sure that you are, you know, respecting your boundaries and communicating that with other people. Because um, I think that a lot can get lost in translation whenever people aren't, you know, forthcoming about that, which isn't always easy to do. But again, like Magro said, it is a practice and something that you have to, you know, constantly work at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with all of that, all three of y'all. Um, that's some really great advice. And I hope people hear it. And you know, I hope that we are all able to head back into this new world, um, feeling confident and ready to ask for what we need and, and say, you know, kick rocks to anybody who, who can't give it up to us. <laughs> That's like my favorite phrase. <laughs> kick rocks. Um, Y'all, well, thank you so much for joining and bearing with me through all the technical difficulties. And Laura, yeah. I'm glad we were able to get you back online. Thank you and, for having us. Uh, <laughs> Um, I hope you all have a wonderful we'll night. Talk to you, soon. you too, Alex. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.
This episode was brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Most Imaginative Bartender. To learn more about the Most Imaginative Bartender competition and the Canvas project, go to mostimaginativebartender.punchdrink.com. Make sure to tune in every Monday for new episodes of Focus on Health, and don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.